Our scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament, from the first book of Kings, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll commence our reading at verse 1 and read through to the last verse of the chapter. 1 Kings chapter 19, reading at verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and led him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose, and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said unto him, Go, return in thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehohah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. But I have left me, yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. We end our reading at the last verse of this chapter, knowing that God will add to the public reading of his word his own divine seal of approval and blessing. I to turn again to the first book of Kings, chapter 19. First Kings, chapter 19. Our text for the Lord's message today is the verse 6 of the chapter. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake of bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and led him down again. Just before we come to the delivering of the Lord's message, let's unite our hearts together, please, as we pray. Father, we're so thankful to thee for thy precious word that we're not left to follow some pathway of vain speculation or supposition. We do have a word of authority today that is not influenced or affected by the maladies of life, for every word of God is pure. And Father, we know that to even come to deliver thy word brings before us a very solemn obligation that we might be clean to bear the vessels of the Lord today. Of ourselves, we could not achieve this, but we're so glad that our standing is not in ourselves, but in our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, whose we are and whom we seek to serve. Father, we're glad that thou dost take up weak things, the things that are despised and abased, so that thy name should be glorified, 
hide this human instrument behind the cross, grant that our Lord Jesus Christ himself may be magnified today. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. The gifted ministry of the prophet Elijah is one that stands out in the annals of Israel's checkered history. Raised by God to be the spiritual conscience of the nation against idolatry, his life gives us a remarkable insight into a man of conviction, a man of courage, and a man of contrast. Every step that he took, every word that he spoke, impacted upon those who were challenged by his verbal, physical, and spiritual interventions. His dealings with the dear widow from Sarephath, particularly after the death of her son, drew from his heart feelings that were the epitome of tenderness, of gentleness, and of kindness. Contrastingly, he exhibited a rigid determination in his confrontation with the compromising king of Israel. Under Ahab's kingship, Israel had sold its religious freedom to the suppressive forces of idolatry that attributed its worship to the illusionary god called Baal. And to add injury to injury, Ahab took as his wife one of the most devout worshippers of Baal from the foreign land of Sidon. Her induction as Israel's queen had spiritual ramifications for the favored sons of Abraham. Not only was the public purse opened to finance an idolatrous system that God had cursed, but those who spoke out against the invading powers of darkness were instantly disenfranchised from their livelihoods. We read of prophets hiding in caves in an effort to escape from a woman whose sole objective was to change the ecclesiastical direction of the entire nation. It was impossible not to observe the dramatic change that was taking place before the eyes of the people. Baalite prophets were increasing in numbers while those who sought to remain faithful to Jehovah were diminishing out of existence. Even Elijah on two occasions exclaimed, I, even I, only am left. This was at a time when he should have been riding the crest of a spiritual wave. The ungodly prophets of Baal had been humiliated at Carmel's Mount, causing many Israelites to exclaim, The Lord, he is God. However, when news came to Baal's idolatrous benefactor that some of her religious lackeys had been slain at the hand of her most hated citizen, she issued a death sentence in his absence. On hearing of her intent, Elijah left the territory to relocate under a juniper tree in the wilderness just south of Beersheba. Many words have been written and spoken in this specific period in the prophet's ministry 
with the majority being instrumental in redirecting the discouraged to the path of encouragement and the hopeless to the higher plane of hope. I personally know a few dear men and women who have not at some stage in their life conversed with their own heart on the subject of a perceived personal failure. But as this incident unfolds, it becomes increasingly clear that God had not finished with his hypersensitive servant. A sensitivity that is discovered in all men and women, but especially, especially in the lives of those of us who have been filled with the power of God the Holy Spirit. And as a consequence, the need to be reassured of the Lord's presence is vital for any further spiritual progress. In Elijah's case, we can profit much from reverently joining the conversation between Jehovah and himself. Through carefully considering all that was communicated, we can justly come to the conclusion that God had never left his servant and that his interest in him remained unaffected even though he had fled from the presence of Jezebel. Spiritually, there is no substitute for any dejected soul to hear the speaking voice of God. And as such, the prophet, this prophet, from the tribe of God, was especially honored. To hear the words, I know that the journey is too great for thee, must have touched a chord of understanding. And then to be asked the question in duplicate form, what doest thou here, Elijah, must have forced his mind into the realms of recollection. Mercifully, the faithful servant of God had not become a spiritual castaway. But before he heard the word of God, he saw certain things that attracted his attention. Our text in verse 6. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon, and coals, and a cruise of water at his head. Now it is clear that this was not his mind playing tricks on him. For the Holy Spirit specifically records, and he did eat and drink and led him down again. As we prayerfully consider the significance of the cake, the coal, and the cruise in preparing the prophet's heart to receive the word of God, I do trust and I do pray most earnestly that all of us will be brought into a sim similar vestibule in order that once again we might discover that the preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. First of all, let us learn from the provision of the cake. There was a cake bacon. The narrative itself makes it easy for us to follow the thought process that was operating in the mind of this distinguished servant of the Lord. Although, as we have acknowledged, we had just witnessed the most remarkable manifestation of God's omnipotent power, 
he had sadly come to the imaginary conclusion that he had failed his generation. He said openly, I am not better than my father's. It is impossible for any human assessment to ascertain the damage that continues to be caused through introspective imagination. To observe a man or a woman being the object of their own opposition often renders the onlooker verbally bankrupt. Found in such depths of despair, where even a carefully selected text of Scripture is viewed of little value, the wounded heart needs to be gently restored to spiritual health. In this, God gives us the ultimate example. By providing his child a cake, God was dismantling a major cul-de-sac into which his servant had fled. His desire that his earthly life would end had undermined any hopeful prospect for the future. He genuinely thought that his ministry had prematurely terminated in failure. God, who knows the intent of his people, responded to his need by preparing him a cake. Now, if he had lost the will to live, then he would resist any sustenance that could renew his bodily energies. So when he rose up to eat, he was in a practical and spiritual way defeating what was in many ways a devil-inspired strategy. As Satan wanted rid of this providentially gifted reformer, and he must have stood on the tiptoe of expectation to witness his demise. Little did he anticipate that a cake would forth his hellish design. A short time before, he had observed the most dramatic interventions against his agents. When fire descended from heaven to consume a sacrifice that had been saturated with liters of water. But here, in an isolated area of Beersheba, he is much more than an interested spectator. He sees the possibility of his main antagonist being disarmed of his spiritual fight as he struggles with the emotions of his human nature. Being fixated by what was taking place before his eyes, the devil watches as the sleeping prophet begins to stir. Waking out of his period of unconsciousness, he focuses upon a freshly baked cake. The fact that it was just made meant that its aroma would have attracted the natural senses of the man of God. And momentarily, he might have thought that he was dreaming. But when the cake smell entered his nostrils, he knew that this was set before him as something that was real. And so he arose up and he did eat. Now, while it might at first appear superfluous, 
we express much more than a curious interest in the type of cake that was prepared for the Lord's servant. In the Bible, we have, we have a number of identifiable cakes. We have reference to the cake of barley bread in the days of Gideon. And we know of David's men receiving 200 cakes of figs from the hand of Abigail. And then we read of a cake of bread in 2 Samuel 6 and 9. And there's also recorded the idolatrous priests directing women to make cakes to be incorporated into the worship of the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah 7 and 18, which is a forerunner to the false doctrine of transubstantiation. But the first time, the first time we read of a cake being prepared through baking is when the children of Israel were exiting the land of Egypt. And as they journeyed towards the Red Sea, fresh with memories of the Passover, approximately one million men and women and children stopped for a meal between Ramones and Succoth. The meal consisted of baked on leaven cakes, Exodus 12 and 39. And because this constituted their last meal on Egyptian soil, it was to be recreated in future generations as a reminder of the day when God brought them forth out of the land of bondage. If the Maitre article, leader of Baal, had to have got her way, Israel's past would have been submerged in the idolatrous sea of forgetfulness. So in the provision of the cake, God was in effect making a solemn declaration that he would preserve and protect the heritage of his people. This was the same meal that his forefathers had as they left Egypt to open up a new chapter in their history. Enemies from without and friends from within have often tried to neutralize the impact of God's dealings with his children. But in every generation, God has given to his church men who have respected the past, who have ring-fenced the present, and who have prepared for the future. Elijah's own words are worthy to emphasize. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. And the Lord God of hosts provided him with a big cake to remind him that Israel's past was just as much as important to Israel's present as it would be to Israel's future. There are those throughout this world who would like to remove the history of the Bible-believing church. They would love to see an end of those who speak about the Protestant Reformation. 
but God will preserve his heritage. And by giving to Elijah a cake, a baked cake, it was a token of that preservation. But then we have the purpose of the coals. We know from the wording of the passage that it was a messenger sent from God who organized and arranged this provision in the wilderness. To describe it as a miracle would indeed be most appropriate, especially when we focus in upon the use of coals. God, through his infinite power, could have provided a cake to his servant without the use of any natural fuel, but he wanted to show his servant something. He wanted his servant to appreciate that everything that God gives is characterized by freshness. When we read, for example, in Lamentations 3 and 22 about the Lord's mercies and the Lord's compassions, we are told that they are new every morning. And we are assured that each child of God can benefit from a personal relationship with the giver who daily, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. And what is of special interest to us is that in Elijah's case, the solution to the complexities of his emotional, psychological, and spiritual challenges was tailor-made for him. The same power that released the fire to consume the sacrifice at Carmel was exactly the same power that ignited the coals which made the cake in order to give sustenance to Jehovah's servant. We should always remember that that fire can destroy as well as build up. And from a purely human perspective, these two incidences uh, might seem to be incomparable. But what are they telling us? They're telling us something of great importance. And that is that we should never lose sight of the fact that God will always deal personally with we as children. He remains interested in the small things. The fire that descended at Mount Carmel was majestic and mighty and powerful. The fire that ignited the coals in the wilderness of Beersheba was unrecognized by human observation. But God is interested in small things. Maybe you're gathered today and you feel, well, I have a family member that's not well. Is God interested in her or him? I have a son, I have a daughter, and they're wayward. They've gotten away from God and they've traveled into a far country, spiritually speaking. Surely, out of all the mass people in this world, could God be interested in my son or in my daughter? I want you to know 
that God does take a dealing in small things. And in this, we discover that Elijah, although himself is maybe seen as making the decision to go down into the wilderness to sit under this juniper tree, yet we believe that God brought him there because God had something to say to him that necessitated his isolation from the crowd. It is clear that the Lord's servant had too much in his mind to hearken to God's instruction, let alone implement it. He needed to be cared for as a nurse careth for her children. And what a privilege it must have been to have as his nurse an angel of the Lord. The question is asked, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And the answer could be replied many, many times. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Elijah was not only refreshed. He was given the responsibility to anoint God's replacement for himself, for Ahab, and for the current king of Syria. All of which took place after he had been graciously nourished by the hand of God, as it was for Simon Peter, whose state of mind must have been similar to that of Elijah's. Ashamed of his act of denial, the son of Jonas had been deeply wounded by his own self-created spirit of impetuosity. Seamlessly, he returned to his old occupation of fishing, only to, to discover that his net was coming up empty. When told by the unrecognized Messiah to cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find, the situation dramatically changed with the net full of great fishes. When Peter and the other disciples came to land, they saw a fire of coals and fish and bread laid on. As they sat around the fire partaking of the fish and bread, it appears at first that there is no mention of Peter's denial. Then we read something very, very special. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? God had lovingly used the coals to start the fire upon which the fish and bread were prepared. And then after they had dined, Peter was commissioned in such a way that would change the spiritual future of the entire world. When God sees that the journey is too great for us, he doesn't leave us without help. He knows what we've need of. And isn't it striking that Peter was drawn to those coals of fire on the edge of Galilee? 
when sometime before he was drawn to another coals of fire in the palace of the high priest. In one he denied, in the other he dedicated himself to serve. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The provision of the cake, the purpose of the coals, finally, the placing of the cruise and a cruise of water at his head. Like the cake and like the coals, the cruise of water was supernaturally given. Some commentators have suggested that the angel of the Lord who attended Elijah was indeed the second person of the Trinity. However, we can state with certainty that the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love and whom we seek to serve, is both the bread and the water of life, and that he himself through the sacrifice of his own body on that cruel tree, has extinguished the fire of God's wrath for all who would be saved by his grace. Mercifully, graciously, and lovingly, the Godhead placed this water within the reach of their weary and despondent child. I say this very lovingly to you. I don't know your heart. I don't know the problems that you're contending with or struggling with. But God never puts the solution beyond the reach of his people. Even when we're at our lowest point in life and hardly able to lift a finger to fend for ourselves, our Heavenly Father has covenanted not to forsake the righteous. In light of which, we read these wonderful words. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided. All this we see through hearts that have been cleansed by the precious blood of our soon-coming Lord Jesus Christ. And it is he who reminds us that he is the lifter up of our head. But thou, O Lord, art our shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. Elijah could not have got down any lower. His head was on the ground. And I see this gracious angel of the Lord coming and just lifting up the head of Elijah. And he sees the cruise of water to refresh him and to revive him. It was at hand. He didn't have to make an effort to get to it. And we don't have to make an effort 
to get to that cruise of, oil, cruise of water today. It's at hand. God prepared the cake. God had a purpose in the coals. And he had a place for the cruise. Oh, I trust, I really do trust this morning that every one of us, from the one that's speaking to the one that's listening, will enter into that blessed fellowship with him who giveth and giveth and giveth again. It's always fresh. It's for you. The cake, the coals, and the cruise. Thank you so much for listening. I trust that God will graciously bless his word to each of our hearts.